Welcome to Spook Pod. This is Courtney. And this is Emily. Pod, everybody. How you doing today? To be quite frank, I'm great. <laughs> good one, Emily. Good one. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it took me two weeks to come up with that. Don't ask me for <laughs> any more input. <laughs> no, you came up with that on the spot. I know you did. I could see it. We didn't plan this. <laughs> no, I just got really happy and I was like, I'm going to use your last name. <laughs> So, we have part two of Anne Frank's story for you today on the show. If you didn't listen to part one, go back, do that. It sets the stage. You'll miss shit if you don't. But again, we're not here to dictate your life, so if you want to be confused and angry through all of this, go ahead and don't listen to it. Yeah, do what you want. It's just a suggestion. As a little short recap, uh, last time we talked about everything kind of like leading up to World War II and... uh, what the Frank family was doing before that and after Hitler invaded the Netherlands. Uh, and then eventually Anne's older sister, Margot received a notice to report for a work camp. And that is when the family decided it's time we got to go into hiding, which they did at Otto's place of business, Krinsengracht 263 in Amsterdam. And as I mentioned in part one, they had a lot of helpers who were Dutch people, who worked at Otto's business, and they were aware that the family was hiding there and would bring them food and supplies and everything so that they could actually get this shit live. done. Yeah. And, and live there. Yeah. So after a week of hiding, the Frank family was joined by the Von Pels family. Now, it was always their plan to hide with this family from the start. They were a family of three, There was Herman von Pels, who worked for Otto Frank, and then his wife, Augusta, and their son, Peter, came. And Peter brought the family cat, Mushi, which I just love. If he hadn't brought the cat, I would have been, like, done with Peter. (laughs) Yeah, what do you do with your animals, like, in this? That's so hard, too, eh? You would probably have to, like, rehome, for the most part, unless it was something like a cat. Like, if you had a dog, there's no way you're hiding a dog, right? Like... Right. And how could you, it would be so hard to like, find that. I feel like a lot of animals probably got abandoned. Displaced, yeah. So in the end, though, it was these two families. And then four months later, they were joined in November 1942 by the eighth and final member of the hiding group. His name was Fritz Pfeffer. So he was just like a lone guy. That would suck too. Like you're living with these two families and you're just like, alone. Mm -hmm. But Fritz had been an acquaintance of the Franks. And when raids were becoming more and more frequent, he actually asked one of the helpers if they knew of a place to hide. And it was decided that they had room for one more in the in the Octor house. And as I said, like, these two families and Fritz, they were completely dependent on the helpers during their time in hiding. This is why so many people just couldn't go into hiding. Like, you need to have people on the outside that you can trust. 
Otherwise, how do you live? So the helpers brought them food, clothing, books, magazines, newspapers, etc. Um, the kids were even still studying while they were in hiding, and they brought them correspondence lessons that they signed up for under their own names. Um, and I like I feel really proud of the helpers because again, like they were Dutch people who would be in no trouble. Like, risking everything to help people that you don't have to help. Exactly. there's no rule that says you have to help. And if they got caught, they would be in just as much trouble as Jews. Like, they would also be sent away to work camps. So, yeah, it's just, like, unlike the Jews, who really had no option in the matter, like, if the Dutch people had just abided by the law, pretended nothing bad was happening, and just went about their life, like they would have been fine, you know what I mean? But they chose to help. And yeah, that's really brave to put their own lives at risk. And all of them never faltered. They said yes immediately to helping. So I think that that's at least one really nice part of the story. Like, Yeah, because there wasn't even like a, "Mm, I have to think about it or let me discuss it with my family. It was just like, yeah, immediately knee-jerk reaction. That's the right thing to do. I'm going to help you. Like these people need help or... Something terrible is going to happen to them. Of course, I'm going to help. Yeah. Uh, So let's just name the helpers and talk about them a little bit so we get more of an idea of who they are. So one was Victor Kugler. I've said his name before in part one. And I love this guy. This guy is a badass. He has a really interesting story, which we talk about all the way through in this episode. Um, But yeah, he never hesitated in helping the Franks. And he had worked for, for Otto for many years, and he was very close to him. And he was the one who was in charge of the Guise & Co. company after Otto's businesses were changed up. And it was actually Victor's idea to put the big bookcase in front of the door to the Octor House to keep it better hidden. That was his idea, and that's one of the coolest parts. But of course, this was stressful for him because like, he didn't even tell his own wife that there were people in hiding. Like, He told nobody. Well, because the fewer people who know, right? Like the less chance it has of being like said when it shouldn't be said or anyone being implicated that, you know, didn't really need to be implicated. Yeah, but I, I mean, like, man, that's got to be such a hard decision, too, because like if he was caught he would get arrested, which he actually did later on in the story. He gets arrested and his wife is going to be like, what? I had no idea he was doing anything. So Kugler, he mostly kept like the businesses running while Otto was in hiding and he would sell some spices and like not put them on the company record so that that extra money could be used to purchase supplies for the people in hiding. Because that's another thing too. Like, If you are hiding eight people, how do you afford that? You know, how do you afford to feed eight people? You do it the Victor way and you do some mild embezzlement. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So another helper was Johannes Kleiman. I've also mentioned him in part one. He took over the Opecta company under a different name. And it was actually his idea for the family to hide in the Octor House in the first place. He was the one that suggested that. And he had known the Frank family since even before they moved to the Netherlands, so they went way back. Uh, And then when the Franks moved to the Netherlands, he started working for them and worked for them ever since. 
Another helper was Johann Voskul, and he was the one that built the bookcase. But he, he was like the main office, or not office, warehouse worker. But he had to stop helping pretty early because he got stomach cancer. So he was actually really sick and he had to quit his job and focus on that. Uh, but he built the bookcase, super cool. Um, and Johan's daughter, Beth, was an office worker at the company and another big help. So Beth was mainly in charge of practical matters. She brought milk and bread for the family and provided course materials. And she would often, like, join them for dinner in the actor house. And then there was a couple, Neep and Jan Gies, and they were married. And um, Neep worked in the office, but Jan didn't, actually. He, he worked somewhere completely different. And Neep was in charge of getting meat and vegetables for the people in hiding. So it really was like a community effort, you can see. Like, each person kind of had their own job when it came own to portion taking of care. the grocery list yeah it looks yeah. like they each had <laughs> yeah they had to get different things because they had to use those like cards you know like the mm -hmm. rations cards or whatever and they would get those illegally too and then they would get rations for the people uh, in hiding and at the same time that meep and yawn were helping the people in the octor house they were also hiding somebody in their own home a student named Kuno Vanderhorst, because he had refused to sign a declaration of loyalty to the Netherlands. To the Nazis. Oh, <laughs> oops. We need to be very clear about that. This was yeah. not... <laughs> I meant the Nazis, not the this Netherlands. Was, this was Hitler. This was not Dutch government. <laughs> uh, so yeah, honestly, to all these people, just well done. They really worked very hard to keep these people safe. Now, when it came to life in hiding, that was not really pleasant, as I'm sure you can imagine. Like, if you've been to the Anne Frank house, it is incredibly small and cramped. And you had eight people in there living together who can't leave. Tensions ran high a lot. Like, they were often arguing at each other's throats, which I think just shows the humanity of this, because... Like, they're in, like, a life-and-death situation. I mean, I mean, I would be so fucking annoyed if I was surrounded closely to the same people all the time. I would be so losing my shit. Um, especially people who, like, weren't my people. Like, you know, they're all in this together, but it's not necessarily to say that they were friends before this. Like, they just share a nationality. There's nothing else that these people have in common. So to just throw them all together in a house and be like, we'll be fine, like, that's impossible. And on top of that... They have to be quiet all the time. They get no fresh air. They're obviously stressed out. It would be like COVID isolation with another family that you barely knew, but like also you had to be really quiet. Yeah, and you're in very small quarters. <laughs> uh, so just to give a little layout of the Octor House, it had three floors. Otto, Edith, and Margot shared a room. Anne shared an even smaller room with Fritz, and that was the entire first floor. And then Herman and Augusta slept in the kitchen, which was the second floor, and Peter had his own room in the attic, the third floor. 
Which, like, I think it's funny how they were like, yeah, the teenage boy, he gets his own room. You know what's going on. (laughs) And throughout this entire time in hiding, Anne was writing in her diary. She wrote about events in the Octor House, but also her feelings and thoughts. And her writing was actually, like, incredibly deep for a young girl. Her father would later say that he was shocked at how deep her writings were and that he had to admit to himself that he did not know her well because all the stuff that she would talk about she never really vocalized out loud at one point during their hiding the minister of education of the dutch government made an appeal on radio orange for people to hold on to war diaries and documents which inspired anne to like rewrite her individual diaries into one running story titled Het Octor House, the Octor House. Uh, and it became her dream from then on to become a published writer and one day tell this story. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things she wrote about. She didn't like her mom. <laughs> they frequently fought. Which, like, which 13-year-old does like their mom, right? Like, you love your mom, but you don't always like your mom. Right. I, there was a phase in there where I was like, that woman. <laughs> <laughs> I've always loved my mom, to be honest, but I get it. I get it. Um, and Anne was the youngest in there, right? So she she talked a lot about how she was kind of the scapegoat and people were always annoyed with her. She said, quote, If I talk, everyone thinks I'm showing off. When I'm silent, they think I'm ridiculous. Rude if I answer. Sly if I get a good idea. Lazy if I'm tired. Selfish if I eat a mouthful more than I should. Stupid, cowardly, crafty, etc., etc. The whole day long, I hear nothing else, but I am an insufferable baby. And Anne's diary also gave the impression that Augusta and Herman frequently quarreled. I thought their fights were kind of funny because they were always like really quick to reconcile after. So one of the fights that Anne talked about occurred when Herman forced Augusta to sell her fur coat to help him with money and hiding. And Anne wrote, The yells and screams, stamping and abuse, you can't possibly imagine it. It was frightening. My family stood at the bottom of the stairs, holding their breath, ready if necessary to drag them apart. Soon after, the reconciliation period of, oh, darling putty, and my cute curly set in. So they had nicknames for each other, putty and Ew, I mean like cute, but ew. (laughs) Anne also talks about how she hated sharing a room with Fritz. Which I get, you're a 13 to 15 year old girl and you're sharing a room with an older man. Yep, I would hate that too. She talked about how Fritz would say his prayers on Sundays. He does spend a quarter of an hour, an entire 15 minutes, rocking from his toes to his heels, back and forth, back and forth. It goes on forever, and if I don't shut my eyes tight, my head starts to spin. And Anne saw that Otto felt responsible for the atmosphere in the Octor House, and he mediated in a lot of the arguments. She wrote, I am dazed by all the abusive exchanges that have hurtled through this virtuous house during the past month. Daddy goes about with his lips tightly pursed. When anyone speaks to him, he looks startled, as if he's afraid he will have to patch up some tricky relationship again. 
Quite honestly, I sometimes forget who we are quarreling with and with whom we've made up. And later on, Otto would also say kind of what we've already said before. Like, we had thought that living with my partner's family in our hiding place would make life less monotonous, but we had not foreseen how many problems would arise because of the differences in characters and views. So yeah, you put like eight almost strangers in a house together, things don't always go well. And I'm just sharing this like about the tensions and stuff because this is just the reality of like what the situation was, right? I know I would lose my shit in this situation. It's also hard because like you're at each other's throats and there's no escape. It's not like you can like exercise your feelings out or go take a walk outside to get some fresh air you know there's just like there's nothing you're just in it and they were in it for so long and it's also like this is how humans take out their fears and stuff it's just through silly things like this but life in the octor house wasn't all bad there were some beautiful things too about staying there together one thing i thought was really cute was that Fritz, he had a Catholic wife named Charlotte, so she didn't need to go into hiding, but he was able to stay in touch with her through Meep, one of the helpers. She would like take parcels and letters from Fritz to Charlotte and vice versa. And it was funny because Charlotte actually lived in Amsterdam, super close to where they were hiding, and they had no idea how close they were. Margot worked incredibly hard in the Octor House, which is really admirable. In her diary, Anne made an impressive list of what Margot was studying and reading, which was English, French, Latin by correspondence, English shorthand, German shorthand, Dutch shorthand, mechanics, mechanics, trigonometry, solid geometry, physics, chemistry, algebra, geometry, English literature, French literature, German literature, Dutch literature, bookkeeping, geography, modern history, biology, economics, and everything on religion and medicine. <laughs> like, that is insane. I think I Marco... Liked, I liked English. <laughs> English literature there. I'm like, just one. <laughs> I think Margot's actually super interesting. She was always the top of her class before this. And she actually wrote a diary too while they were in hiding, but hers didn't survive. So I think it would have been really interesting to see her deeper thoughts. She obviously didn't hear that same transmission because she would have been on it. <laughs> well, we'll get into why it didn't survive later. But um, another thing that happened, there was this cute, like, little brief time in the Octor House where Anne and Peter fell in love. And Anne talks about it a lot in her diary. So at first, she was annoyed by Peter and thought he was dull, which I love. <laughs> good start. That's a really good start on a boy. I think he's dull. <laughs> but before long, they grew close and they talked about everything that concerned them, like their parents, the hiding place, and even intimate things like their sexuality. They fell in love and kissed and cuddled in Peter's room in the attic. And that then Anne worried that her parents would not agree with this. So she decided to tell her father. 
At first, Otto didn't seem to care, but then later he was like, no, I don't want this to happen. And Anne was really upset for about three days, but then she was like over it and she fell out of love and she just went on writing her diary. (laughs) Good. Yep. That's again, perfect way to handle a boy. Yeah, exactly. There was one night where for fun, Anne convinced Beth to spend the night with them in the Octor house. Anne loved it, but Beth later said, quote, To tell you the truth, I was terrified. Every time I heard a tree cracking in the October wind or a car driving along the canal, I grew afraid. I was grateful when morning came and I was able to get back to work. This is, like, so relatable and, like, not on that level by any means. But, like, have you ever been in a situation where you needed to stay at someone's house that you weren't 100% comfortable with? And, like... The whole time you just kind of lay there and you're like, I just can't wait to go home. Yeah. I just can't wait to go home. I just can't wait to go home. And like, that's what I think of with that. I mean, like, obviously he was terrified a thousand times more and like fearful for his life. But like, just that it's feeling of like, yeah. oh, sorry, fearful. Oh, because you said Meep and Meep and Bep and Meep was the. Meep and Bep are both girls. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, Bep's the daughter. I got all Yeah, confused. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of people we got a lot anyways, of players yeah here. there's a lot of players in this game but anyways um but i can just imagine like that feeling of like wanting to go home yeah uh they also had one moment of deep anxiety where the building where they were living was actually sold Otto and the dutch helpers like they had been renting this building from the piron family and of course this family had no idea people were hiding there but then they sold the property to new owners as they were hiding. And Anne wrote in her diary, One morning, the new owner arrived with an architect to have a look at the house. Luckily, Mr. Kleiman was present and showed the gentleman everything except our little Octor house. He professed to have forgotten the key of the communicating door. The new owner didn't question any further. It will be all right as long as he doesn't come back and want to see the Octor House. Since then, it won't look good for us. But fortunately, he never came back. I kind of wonder if maybe he had, like, suspicions, like, oh, maybe people are hiding in there, and he just decided to stay out of it. I don't know. That'd be cool, I feel like I feel like at that time, people were uh, turning a blind eye but not necessarily unaware of what was happening. Yeah. I don't I don't think that you could be fully unaware of what was happening. And I feel like it's kind of one of those situations where you're like walking through somewhere or like whatever and someone's like, "Oh, we don't go in that room." And you can tell there's a reason and there's like a pit in your stomach and like whatever, but you're like, "Nope. Let's not open that can of worms." And it was probably one of those things like the less I know, the better, because if I don't know that there's people there, I don't have to say anything. I don't have exactly. to get the authorities involved. And if someone came and asked me, I can honestly say that I don't know. Right. Yeah. So, like, it's just better to for that person to keep their hands clean of whatever's going on. And it can. it's also kind of like a little act of resistance that's not like a blatant act of resistance, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So let's go over a typical day in the Octor house, because life was pretty, yeah, monotonous. So the morning alarm went off for everyone at 6.45 a.m. They got up, put on the kettle, and they would take turns going to the bathroom until 8.30 a.m. At 8.30, 
they had a really risky half an hour where they had to be dead silent because at this point, the men in the warehouse started their working day, but the office helpers had not yet arrived. So if the warehouse workers heard any noise, they would be super suspicious because they're like, nobody should be up there. At 9am though, the helpers started working in the office above the warehouse. And now the people in hiding, like they still had to be quiet, of course, but if there was like a creak in the floor or something, it was a lot less suspicious. Uh, So the rest of the morning was devoted to reading, studying, and preparing for their lunch break. At 12.30pm, the warehouse workers went home for lunch, and the helpers and people in hiding, they had the place to themselves for a while. So at 12.45pm, a few of the helpers, usually Johannes, Victor, and Beth, they came up to the Octor House to have lunch with everyone. And Meep usually stayed in the office to keep an eye on things. At 1pm, the radio was switched on for the BBC News. It was actually, the, the government had rounded up all of the radios so that people like could not listen to the news and know what was going on, but they managed to get like a, like a hidden radio. At 1.15pm, they had lunch. And at 1.45pm, the helpers went back to work. It's just so crazy to me that, like, all you had to do back then was take away a radio. Because, like, you could probably do this in today's society, but it would take so much more work and effort. You would need, like, the Nobody would have phones anymore. Yeah, you'd need to take phones away. You'd need those things that interrupt Wi-Fi signals. You would need, like, just so many different tools to make sure that people couldn't communicate and couldn't get communication other than just taking radios away. And it's just crazy that, like, literally they just came in and were like, give us your radio, and then you were done. Yeah. And it's really interesting to show how much more connected we've all become because of the internet. Yeah. Yeah. So after lunch, the people in hiding cleared everything away, and most of them took an afternoon nap. That was me today. I had a long afternoon nap. Um, And normally used this time for studying or writing. Around four o'clock, they had coffee, and then they started preparations for dinner. At 5.30 p.m., the warehouse workers went home. Bep usually came to see if the people needed anything, and then she would go home at quarter to six, and the people in hiding now were actually no longer restricted to the Octor House, and they spread out a little bit more in the office building. Still not a lot of extra space, but they could come out of the Octor House at least. In the evening, Herman looked at the day's post. Peter would fetch the bread that was left for them in the office. And Otto actually would do some work. Like he'd sit in the office writing business letters on the typewriter and stuff. So he still worked a little bit. Margot and Anne would do administrative chores and Augusta and Edith cooked dinner. And then after dinner, they'd read, talk, listen to the radio, And around 9 p.m., they started preparing for the night. So furniture had to be moved because, um, like, for instance, Herman and Augusta slept in the kitchen. And just like in the morning, they took turns using the bathroom. That's another thing, too. Like, they couldn't flush the toilet during the day or anything. So, like, they had, like, two opportunities to go to the bathroom in the day, basically. I mean, that would suck, but your body also would get adjusted to that schedule. 
and it would be like something that became more uh, efficient as time went on. It'd be easier. Yeah, yeah. Every day when the sun went down, they completely blacked out the windows so that people outside couldn't see in at all. And after that, everyone just went to sleep and they waited for the next alarm at 6.45 a.m. the next morning. And that was life from Monday to Saturday. That's what they did every single day. Sundays were a little bit different. They basically did chores all day and said she hated Sundays and she couldn't wait for them to be over. Uh, but yeah, that was that was life, like, for more than two years. So in Anne's last diary entry, three days before her arrest, she concluded that there were really two Anne's inside of her. One was a superficial, funny Anne, and the other was a serious Anne. In the company of others, the superficial Anne was dominant, but she would really like to show her serious side. And it saddened her that she'd not succeeded in doing so yet. I don't know. I kind of like this when you think about it. It's really beautiful that her diary went around the world. One, because her dream of becoming a famous writer came true. But also her diary shows that more serious side of her that she longed to share with others. On August 4th, 1944, after 761 days hiding in the Octor House, so two years and one month, all eight people would be discovered, arrested, and sent off to concentration camps. Anne was 15 years old when she was arrested, and she would not live to see her 16th birthday. So I'm going to do a reconstruction of the arrest and what it looked like, and this account was built based on like the testimonies of people involved in the survivors. So Friday, August 4th, 1944, it was a warm and sunny day in Amsterdam. Between half past 10 and 11 in the morning, Dutch police officers headed by a man named Karl Josef Silberbauer. He was actually German. He was like an SS officer from Germany. Of course he was. Yeah, but the other police officers were Dutch. He showed up at the warehouse at Prinzengracht 263. Here, he spoke to a warehouse employee named Willem van Maren. And this worker referred them to the first floor where the office staff was. There's no indication that we know of right now that Willem or other warehouse workers knew that there were people in hiding, but I'm going to leave it at that for now because I'll talk about that more when we talk about who could have betrayed uh, the family. Uh, So on the first floor, the office staff were working when the door suddenly opened. Meep said, a short man came in holding a revolver that was pointed at me. And the police officers then walked into Victor Kugler's office. They questioned him and took him him with them to search the entire building. After the war, Kugler said, The police went upstairs to the storeroom in the main building, and they asked what we kept in all those crates, sacks, and bags. I had to open them all. I said to myself, If it's only a house search, I hope it will be over soon. But unfortunately, during the inspection, they came to the landing with the revolving bookcase. The police looked at it thoroughly and discovered the hidden house behind it. And then they entered it. 
The people in hiding were completely taken by surprise. Kugler said, the first person I saw was Mrs. Frank. Gestapo, I whispered. She sat quite still and in some state of shock. The others came down from the upper floors. Margot was emotional, crying softly. And Otto said, quote, I was upstairs in the attic in Peter's room, helping him with his English schoolwork. And it's actually funny because Otto, like, literally remembers exactly what he was doing at this moment. Like, uh, he was working on English with Peter, but he specifically remembers that he was telling Peter, like, that he made a spelling mistake with the word double. Like, he spelled it, like, D-O-B-B-L-E, like, two Bs. And Otto was, like, explaining, like, no, you've spelled this wrong. It's crazy how your brain works and grabs on to, like, information like that. Yeah. It's stressful. Like, that's a permanent memory for him. Yeah. Now. Like, he yeah. remembers that word double. Yeah. It's so interesting. Uh, and then he said, like, suddenly someone came running up the stairs. And he knew that something was wrong immediately because they were really they loud yeah, yeah they were really loud on the stairs and he's like whoa like what's going on and then the door opened and there was a man right in front of him with a pistol in his hand so they brought them downstairs where everyone else was gathered and Otto said my wife the children Fritz and the von Pels family all stood there with their hands up in the air Otto said that Herman actually tried like a last and desperate attempt to bribe the police, asking if they could be let go for money, but the police didn't respond to him. So the people in hiding had to hand over all of their valuables and, like, pack their bags to leave, essentially. And when this happened, Anne picked up Otto's briefcase because she was going to use it to pack her things to leave, and her diary was in that suitcase. But then Silverbauer, the police officer, he grabbed that from Anne and he like opened it and emptied it and he used it to put valuables in. And when he emptied it, Anne's diary, which was at that point one book and a bunch of papers that she had rewritten, it all scattered onto the floor. And then, yeah, the group, they prepared for departure the police also arrested Victor Kugler and Johannes Kleiman, like the two kind of main head guys at the companies. And Otto said he felt really guilty when the helpers were also arrested. So by this time, it was around 1 p.m. So the raid had taken a little over two hours. And all the other helpers during this time, like they had no idea what to do. But like, really, there's nothing that they could have done. Like, you can't phone the police. This is the police, you know? Kleiman actually, like, snuck his wallet to Bep and told her to go to a pharmacist he knew and give him the wallet. And then the pharmacist would then inform Kleiman's wife that something went wrong for him. So Bep was able to leave the building unhindered. No one stood guard outside. And she delivered the wallet and then she just started, like, wandering the streets. She had no clue what to do. She didn't go back there. Uh, Jan Gies, the husband of Meep, he came by to have lunch, which he often did. And Meep warned him, like, no, there's police officers here, and told him to leave immediately. 
and he went directly to the brother of Clyman, and together they walked to the bridge on the other side of the canal, and they watched all ten people getting into police vans. So at first, everyone was taken to the SD building on the Outer Postrats. Outer Postrats? Uh, this was actually a school that the Germans took over when they invaded the Netherlands and where they set up like their police departments. So everyone was locked in a large room and then they were taken for interrogation. The police officers were trying to find out if they knew of other hiding addresses. Kleiman and Kugler, the helpers, they kept silent. And Otto Frank told them that after 25 months in the Octor House, they lost all contact with friends and acquaintances, and therefore they knew nothing. And while they were at this building, Meep actually made like a last desperate attempt to free the people. And she like walked straight into the like into the headquarters and was like arguing with them, trying to get them released. But it did not work. Solid effort, though. So at this point, the people in the Octor House were separated from the helpers. Plyman and Kugler were taken to a detention center in Emselvensevig. And the eight people from the Octor House went to another detention center at the Weiteringschans. Very hard names. Hard names, yes. Shortly after the arrest, Meep and Bep went to the Octor House to see if there were any personal belongings that they could save, because eventually the police would come and order that the entire Octor House be emptied. They saw Anne's diary papers still scattered on the floor, and they picked them up, took them to the office, and Meep kept them in her desk drawer. She didn't read them at all at that time, and she said it was a really good thing that she didn't, Otherwise, she would have had to, like, burn them because the information was too dangerous to everyone involved. Now, the helpers, they got relatively lucky, I guess, if you can use the word lucky, when it came to their detention. So they were first held in prison for a month, and then they both ended up in Camp Amersfoort, a work camp. After a few weeks there, the camp command released Johannes Kleiman on account of his poor health and at the insistence of the Red Cross. So he got released, he returned home, and again took over the management of the company. Victor Kugler, though, I love this guy. He was so badass. So after his time at Camp Amersfoort, he was transferred twice more to Zwolle and then to can't say this one. Vejeningen. Vejeningen. The G's. That G sound is hard. <laughs> In March 1945, um, prisoners of this camp were sent marching in the direction of Nazi Germany. So Kugler was in this march. And while marching, the column was shot at by Allied planes and things went into chaos and Victor managed to escape. So after wandering around for a few days, during which he was helped by strangers, he returned home to his wife. Quote, The next day I started to prepare a hiding place in my house for myself and my wife. Should the Germans come to take me back, I was determined that they would not find me. However, my preparations proved unnecessary because four weeks later, the German troops surrendered. 
And then in 1953, he immigrated to Canada, and he actually lived the remainder of his days there in Toronto. As for the other prisoners, so after a few days in prison, all eight people in the Octor House were transferred to the transit camp in Vesterbork. The men and women were separated here into different living conditions in prison barracks, uh, but they could still see each other in the evenings. So witnesses say that Anne and Peter were together a lot here. And the Frank family, they could see each other in the evenings after they finished their day of work. After a few weeks in Vesterbork, on September 3rd, 1944, all eight people were put on a train traveling to the east, from the Netherlands to Auschwitz-Birkenau, concentration and extermination camp in Poland. And as we said before, like, this was literally the very last train to leave from the Netherlands to Auschwitz. The very last one. Like, that is so crazy and devastating. Yeah, it's literally like all of the timing. If it was shifted even minutely, it would have been completely different. Yeah. And the fact, too, that they were on the last train and still didn't survive, like, that's... Jesus... Well, and you have to think, like, at that time, the Nazis already knew that they weren't going to continue their campaign. Like, at this point, things are winding down. They know that the outlook is not great for them. And so I'm pretty sure, from what I recall, a lot of the orders came down to concentration camps to just, like, be as brutal as possible. Like, they were trying to Mm -hmm. not leave anything behind. Like, just go, go, go. Yeah, they really tried to leave no evidence, too. Like, they were trying to clean up after themselves. So, yeah, it's it's disgusting. Um, So their train journey to Auschwitz took three days, during which over a thousand people were packed closely together in cattle wagons. There was little food and water and only a barrel for a toilet. Like, I can't imagine because, like, when I'm on, like, a normal train with where I have, like, a seat, I hate that. So, like, and this was three days. I can't. But I, I can't. also, I also think that at that point, if you're a prisoner on that, in that situation, you've already been through so much trauma that I feel like you must be in just this state of shock where you're like, this isn't 100%. even real. Like, this can't be happening. Um, and I think that that's how you get through a lot of that is just dissociating from what's yeah, going on around Yeah, just like you. going completely numb. Upon arrival at Auschwitz, Nazi doctors checked to see who would and who would not be able to do heavy forced labor. Around 350 from Anne's train, train transport were immediately taken to the gas chambers upon arrival and murdered. All eight people uh, from the Octor House avoided the gas chamber this time, but on the platform, men and women were separated, and this was the last time that Otto Frank would ever see his wife and children. And that is where I'm going to leave it for today, on a super low note. Thanks for coming and listening to Depressed Pod, where we just tell you really sad stories <laughs> about war. Depressed Pod, we need to change our name. Yeah. Depressed Pod, yeah. This is like, uh, and honestly, I'm sorry to tell you, it just gets worse from here. Like, it just gets worse. 
Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about next time. We'll talk about what happens to all eight of these people, how Anne's diary came to be published, and then we'll take a look at who could have betrayed her family. So if you liked feeling terrible in this episode, please stop by next time and feel <laughs> even worse with us. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we hope your day perks up and we'll see you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of Spook Pod. New ones are out every other Friday. Available now for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to chat? Email us at thespookpod at gmail.com or follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit at SpookPod. For a full list of episodes, more deets, or to see what's coming next, visit our website, spookpod.com. This has been a presentation of Mostly Awkward Media. See you, See next, you next time. time.